0: We're looking at the spirit produces growth. Before we go further into this study, just want to just recap very briefly on where Galatians fits in and where this this study fits in. Um, If you have your Bible and you want to turn to Acts chapter 26, Acts chapter 26, 16 through 18, and this is when Paul is giving his testimony, and he's, re, he's recounting his experience with Jesus back on the road to Damascus, and he's, he's, he's um, talking about what Christ talked to him about, so what Christ, the words of Christ to him is what Paul is recording, or what Luke's recording about what Paul said in Acts 26, 16 through 18. So this is Jesus speaking to Paul. So Jesus said, but get up and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen from me and what I will show you. So he was going to show Paul the gospel of grace. He was going to give revelation of grace to Paul. Jesus said, I will rescue you from your own people, that was the Jewish people, and from the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, and I am sending you to them, to open their eyes so that they, and that's a spiritual awakening in the hearts of of people, so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those sanctified by faith in me. And I know I talk a lot about forgiveness in this class, about accepting rather than asking, but I'm, I'm Trying to keep Galatians in context, I don't want us to forget that was the message that Paul went to the Galatian people with, that Jesus was, was instructing Paul that when he went to people, he would proclaim to people that Christ died on the cross for all their sins, and that through faith in Christ, we receive forgiveness. And that happens the moment we come to faith in Christ. And I've mentioned that for a lot of my life, or actually, well, a small portion of my life as a believer, I was busy asking God to forgive me. And I was ignoring the truth of Scripture. I wasn't ignoring it. I just hadn't been taught it. That the Christian life for the body of Christ is not one of asking for forgiveness. That according to Jesus, we're receiving forgiveness through faith. And so that was the message. So you see here it says that they may receive forgiveness. So the message of the gospel isn't ask for forgiveness. According to Jesus, the message of the gospel is receive forgiveness. So we receive forgiveness, and he tells us, well, how do we receive forgiveness? By faith in me. The me is Jesus. He died on the cross for all of our sins. And if he died on the cross for all of our sins, none of us asked Jesus to die for us. So then he's not waiting on us to ask him to forgive us. He simply, through Paul initially and through the church, the body of Christ today, the message is, Christ has died for all of your sins, and by faith we receive the forgiveness that he died for. So we don't, we're not in that place of ongoing asking. We're in that one time receiving, and then we're sanctified when we receive his forgiveness through faith in him. We're sanctified, or we're made holy, or we're made righteous by faith. And the word faith in Galatians is really big. It's used 19 times in Galatians, and it's in contrast to works, it's in contrast to human effort. Faith simply receives what grace achieved. Jesus achieved forgiveness for us. By faith in him, we receive forgiveness. So we see Paul teaching this message in Acts 13, if you want to flip there. Acts chapter 13, 38 through 39. And we see Paul carrying out the instructions that Jesus gave him to communicate. So Jesus, and again, Acts 13 verses 38 through 39, and this is when Paul went into Galatia. It's his first missionary journey into Galatia. It's Pisidian Antioch is where he is. He also went into Lystra and Derbe and Iconium. So we see him communicating this message that Jesus gave him to communicate, and he's in a synagogue in Pisidian Antioch, which is the first place he went to in the Galatian region. It says, therefore let it be known to you, brothers, and he's talking about my Jewish brothers. Every time you see brothers in Scripture, Paul isn't talking about my Christian brothers. It's all in, in, in Romans chapter nine. He's not talking about my Christian brothers. The H- book of Hebrews isn't always talking about Christian brothers. Sometimes it's talking about my, my Jewish brothers who haven't come to Christ in faith, haven't come to faith in, in Christ yet. Sometimes we'll use that. If a person's a fireman, they may say, My my brothers. Not not that all of them are, he's not talking about all of them are my Christian brothers, could be a Christian fireman who says my brothers who are firemen, but he's not identifying each one of them as Christians. He's just saying this is what we have in common. So Paul's referring here not to Christian brothers but to Jewish brothers that through Jesus, here's his message, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. So we see Paul being very consistent with communicating the message that Jesus gave him to communicate. So whenever we hear a message on forgiveness, it's important that we filter what we're hearing from whether it's a small group leader or whether it's a a pastor or whether it's someone on radio or television or even through what we've heard in the past. Whenever we hear a message on forgiveness, we've got to filter that message through what Jesus, the ascended Jesus, gave Paul to communicate. And we've got to distinguish between the heavenly ministry of Christ and the earthly ministry of Christ. That the earthly ministry of Christ was to the Jewish people, right? The body of Christ wasn't even in place yet. The gospel of grace wasn't even in place yet. Jesus ministered to Jewish people, and he ministered what's called the gospel of the kingdom, which Jesus coming to reign as king on earth and bring peace. And he's going to do that one day. But we're we're now in what's called the mystery or a period of time called the gospel of grace. Where we're we're the body of Christ, and there's a body of truth for the body of Christ. And if we try to mix the earthly ministry of Jesus with the heavenly ministry of Jesus, then we're gonna mix these specific truths that are designated for different people at different times, and we're just gonna mix it all together. And so what we see, and it's also law and grace, before Jesus died on the cross, law was in existence. After Jesus died on the cross grace was in existence. And we talked about that the word grace is used 150 times after the cross and only five times before the cross. And the five times before the cross all refer to the person of Christ, not to the work of Christ. But after the cross, the majority of those 150 times refer to the work of Christ on the cross. Galatians would be evidence of of that use of that word grace. So what we see under law is that in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says, you know, Forgive one another as I, for, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, just as, uh, I, I'm wanting to go to the New Covenant. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive one another. So we see forgiveness under law. Remember, when did grace go into effect? When Jesus died on the cross. When did the New Covenant go into effect? the blood of christ so that old we're matthew 6 is old covenant teaching it's old testament teaching some some of it is universal truth that we can pull from one one time period to another but some of its dispensational truth which means it's the only truth for that time for example what what a person could eat in galatians genesis in the early chapters of genesis it would change you know, Noah, Adam and Eve could only eat certain things, Noah, then Noah, the, then the children of Israel could only eat certain things, and then we find out in Acts chapter 10, God's telling Peter you can eat whatever you want. He's saying the law is over. So that's just an example of dispensational truth that's true for one period of time, but not for all periods of time. And being able to distinguish those is highly important to understanding Scripture. So with forgiveness in Matthew chapter 6, and then after the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says, unless you forgive others, then your Heavenly Father will not forgive you. It's the same thing when Peter says, how many times should I forgive my brother? Up to three times. And Jesus said, no, 70 times, seven, unlimited, complete. And that's under law. So forgiveness under law is conditional based upon our consistent forgiveness of others. So if there's anybody in my life under law that I haven't forgiven, then God can't forgive me. That's not good news, because then who could really be forgiven? The cross is complete. After the cross, we find Paul saying in Colossians chapter 3, we find him saying in Ephesians chapter uh, 5 or 4, forgive one another just as God in Christ has forgiven you. So in the new covenant, in the gospel of grace, in the body of Christ... We forgive because we've been forgiven, not to be forgiven. Before the cross, we forgive in order to be forgiven. One's conditional and the other's complete. The cross completed everything. The law of Moses was always conditional. We don't live under the law. We don't live under a conditional covenant. We live under a complete covenant where God in Christ has done everything for us, and he's offering it to us for free. And by faith in Christ, we receive forgiveness of sins. And then we turn around and freely give away the forgiveness that we've received. So it's a, it's, it's a cycle of forgiveness. Not that I'm always getting forgiveness. I'm just, all right, I've received forgiveness. I'm giving forgiveness. And we, just, we live from that eternal, continual state where we're forgiven by God. That's what Paul is saying here. Therefore, let it be known to you, my Jewish brothers, that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. That's Christ dying for all of our sins on the cross. And through him, everyone who believes is justified or made righteous or sanctified or made innocent from everything you could not be justified from by whatever, fill in the blank. For them, it was the law of Moses. Moses. We're not under the law, but fill in the blank. There's nothing we can do to achieve forgiveness. There's nothing we can do to achieve a right standing before God. It's all been done for us through Christ. That's grace. And faith simply receives through believing, through faith, through trusting that Christ did it all. We talk about the finished work of Christ, the full work of Christ, the final work of Christ, and the forever work of Christ. So how do I tap into the full, finished, final, and the forever work of Christ? by faith, and we relate to God from this position, so Paul is talking to the elders of the church in Ephesus in Acts 20, 24, 20, and 24, Paul knows he's never, he's not going to see the elders of Ephesus anymore, he started the church, he wants to see the church grow in the gospel of grace, he writes about it in Ephesians, it's just chalked with the word grace all the way through Ephesians, and he wants them to grow in grace. So he's explaining to them, his, he, he's about to leave, he's going to Jerusalem, he knows his, his life is probably going to be coming to an end when he gets, sorry, not to Jerusalem, but to Rome. Um, he went to Jerusalem, then he went to Rome, and now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, and he was arrested, and eventually taken to Rome, I only know that in town after town, the Holy Spirit warns me that chains and afflictions await me. But I consider my life of no value to me if I only may finish my course and complete the ministry I have received from the Lord Jesus, the ministry of testifying to the good news of God's grace. So Paul had an assignment from Jesus of telling people the good news about God's grace. So the question is, what's the good news? Well, the good news is what we read about in Acts 26. The forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Well, why can the forgiveness of sins be proclaimed? Because our sins were poured upon Jesus at the cross. And because all of our sins were poured upon Jesus at the cross, where forgiveness was achieved for us, where our sins were counted against Christ, all of our sins were counted against Christ, the good news is God's not counting our sins against us, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19. That's good news. It's bad news to think God's counting my sins against me, and he's keeping a record of my sins every day, and because he's keeping a record of my sins every day, I've got to keep asking him to forgive me every day. That's, that's religious bondage. There's no good news in that message at all. It's good news for a second, confess, accept, I'm forgiven. Ask, I'm forgiven, but then it's like perpetual every single day. It's life under the law of Moses. We've just brought it to our modern-day times. But life after the cross <coughs> is good news. All of our sins were poured upon Christ, and he's proclaiming that forgiveness to us that simply by faith in Jesus we receive forgiveness. That's, bo- that's the body of truth for the body of Christ. That's, that's our message uh, as the church, and it's a message we want to continue to get out at Grace Fellowship Church. We want to continue to help people understand and be set free uh, as this church com- communicates to the vulnerable and to the broken the good news of God's grace. You know, good news typically puts a smile on our face, doesn't it? And that's what, that's what the gospel, I, grew, I, I was discipled in a gospel that for one day it put a smile on my face. And that was the day I placed my faith in Christ. But the day after that was drudgery for me because I was giving a religious discipleship system that I needed to follow, and if I followed this discipleship system by doing these things every day, then I could feel good about my relationship with God, I could grow in my relationship with God, and I could stay in fellowship with God. So it was all up to me, and the good news went away after day one. That must not have been the gospel. Because the gospel is good news every day. And I've got to preach the gospel to myself every day. And you have to preach the gospel to yourself every day. Because Satan is relentless. He will come to you and me and he will tell us, he will remind us of our sins. He will get us to live in guilt. He will try to give us under religious bondage when Christ is, is for freedom that Christ set you free. No person set you free, Christ set you free. And, it's, and it's, it's living in this freedom every single day. Well, the Galatian people were living in this freedom. They were enjoying the freedom of full forgiveness. They were enjoying the freedom of righteousness in Christ, apart from works, apart from the law, apart from daily observances of a, two, of a che- religious checklist. Their relationship with God was based completely on what Christ did for them at the cross. Therefore, joy could be produced in their lives on a daily basis. Not because of anything they did, but because of everything Christ did. So when the church got started in Galatia, they were growing in grace, and then the religious leaders came in from Jerusalem. And the religious leaders began to tell the believers that, yes, Jesus is Christ, and yes, he's the Messiah, and yes, he died on the cross, and yes, he rose from the dead, and yes, he's coming back again, but, you know you're into legalism when you get to that word, but... You need to do these things every day. And we'll see that later in Galatians chapter 4. You need to observe these things every day. You need to practice these things every day. And through your observance and through your practice of these religious expectations that God expects you to do, they say, then you can feel right in your relationship with God. Same things happens today. We get people saved on Sunday morning, but then Sunday night we're giving them, here's what you have to do now. Here's how you stay in fellowship. Here's how you stay forgiven. Here's how you maintain being right with God. Here's how you grow. And we give them a list of things to do. And where we, where we, where we had them look at the cross on a Sunday morning, on, sun, the sun, on a Sunday night we're having them to look away from the cross. Or in the small group we're getting people to not we as this church, but we as the body of Christ, we're getting people to look away from the cross. We're getting them to look to a religious system or a religious checklist or uh, uh, duties and and things that God expects them to do, when he doesn't expect that at all. He just wants us to grow in our understanding of what God has done for us in Christ, which leads us to the Spirit Produces Spiritual Growth, page 71, in teaching number 9. They had moved away from growth in their relationship with, with, with God the Father. They were trying to grow. Have you noticed healthy things don't try... Healthy people or healthy things grow naturally. Plants don't try to grow, but if if a plant is rooted in the right soil and nurtured by the right person, the plant has no effort in growing, it just grows. Healthy things grow. Unhealthy things die. A, an understanding of Christianity, an understanding of the gospel of grace for the body of Christ, the body of truth for the body of Christ. Once we have that healthy understanding, you're going to find yourself growing. Without even trying to grow, because healthy things grow. I mean, when you see healthy people, how did they, you know? How did they get? You know, how does a child grow? Well, he's 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 healthy. He grows. So the spirit of Christ in us wants to lead us to the truth of Christ for us so that we can have a healthy understanding of the gospel so that once we have that, under, that healthy understanding, the spirit grows us, we don't grow ourselves. All right. So let's take a look at this verse. Paul says, I would like to learn, in Galatians 2, 2 through 4, or it should be 3, it's my fault. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? He's taking people back to faith. It's faith. It's not works. It's faith. Did, did the Spirit of Christ come to live in your heart my heart because of something we did or because of our faith in Jesus? It's faith. When we place our faith in Jesus, God sends the Spirit of Christ to live in our hearts. It's all by faith. It's hearing then combined with faith. Are you so foolish? Have you stopped thinking Paul told the Galatians, that after starting in the spirit, are you now finishing or trying to grow in the flesh? Your religious efforts, your self-effort, trying to grow yourself. Have you suffered so much for nothing, if it really was for nothing? Does God lavish his spirit on you and work miracles among you? Now, he's referring there to Acts chapter 14, verse 3. He's referring back to the Galatians' experience when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them, and we saw Paul doing incredible miracles. He did them in Ephesus. He did them in Galatians. We, we saw these miracles coming through the apostles among the Gentiles. And the Gentiles didn't ask for the miracles. They didn't, have a, they didn't try for the miracles to come. God just put, sent them the miracles so to, to, to um, give them evidence, especially to the Jewish people. It was more evidence for them, the miracles, than for the Gentiles. Um, does he work miracles among you, the spirit, because you practice the law or because you hear and believe? We th- I, I, and I, I talk about this a lot, but it's so true to what's going on in Galatia. I thought my spiritual practices, and sometimes people call them disciplines, somehow gained something before God As I practice these spiritual disciplines, as I do these things, then I'm going to grow as I do these things then I'm going to get close to God. As I do these things, then I'm going to abide and then then things are going to happen. But I never had an under healthy understanding of spiritual truth. We abide in truth. We, we, We by faith, we abide in the truth of what Christ has done for us on the cross. And as you and I abide in the truth of what Christ has done for us on the cross, Christ in us, knowing God as Father, as we abide in these truths, that's when transformation happens. That's when the fruit begins to produce by the Spirit from within us to, to outside of us. So the Spirit wants to produce in us as we hear the gospel and as we believe the gospel. And as you and I hear the gospel in its completed form, in its undiluted form, without religious systems entering in and legalistic discipleship programs enter in. It's just the cross. When we take people just to the cross and the fullness of what Christ did and then to the resurrection of Christ and the ascension of Christ and then Christ living in us, when, when we help people establish people in these truths, the Holy Spirit then transforms the hearts of those who are established in those truths. That's what we've been looking at. So Paul's principle is we don't receive the Spirit of Christ by works, by flesh or the law or spiritual practices, but by faith. Nor do we grow spiritually through works or practices or disciplines. Rather, the Spirit grows us as we hear and believe the good news of God's grace. We continue to grow as believers. So we looked at the Spirit-led life. We looked at number one is the Spirit of Christ enters our hearts when we believe. When the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoptions as son, adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son Jesus into our hearts. The spirit of Christ leads us to the finished work of Jesus and not to the works of the law. It says, when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that's the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. So the role of the Spirit inside the hearts of the people is, is to teach people what Jesus did for you. Teach people who Jesus is in you. That's what Paul, most of his teachings were about two things. Here's what Christ did for you, and here, here is Christ, here, this is who Christ is in you. And we'll see that as we move through here. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The Spirit is not going to lead us to a religious system. The Spirit is not going to lead us into legalism. He's not going to lead us into practices that if we do these practices, you're going to be right with God. The Spirit of Christ in us is always going to lead us to the cross of Christ for us. He's going to lead us to establish us in what Christ did for us. And we see this happening in Paul's ministries. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or wisdom as proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved nothing For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That was Paul's message, and forgiveness was a part of that message, where he was presenting and proclaiming forgiveness to the people. He said, I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom. So he wasn't a great speaker. Paul was a very poor speaker. But his power was in the cross, not in his speaking abilities. But with a demonstration of the spirit's power so that your faith would not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power, which the power of God, as we see here, is Jesus Christ in him crucified. So that's the spirit. That's the message the spirit works with. Paul goes on to say, now we speak of the mystery of the mysterious and hidden wisdom of God. It's about the grace of God, the, the cross of the Lord Jesus which he destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. Rather, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him, but God has revealed it to us by his spirit. So the spirit of Christ in you wants to give you revelation of what your eyes could never see, of what your ears could never hear and understand and what your heart could never even imagine. And that's the gospel of grace. That's the work of Christ on the cross. It's what he did for us, and we'll we'll look at it here. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of men except his own spirit within him? So, too, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. So again, here's the idea of receiving. I'm receiving the spirit when I place my faith in Christ. Christ comes to live in me. And the spirit is there that we may understand what God has freely given us. Notice why the spirit exists in the heart of a believer. The spirit exists to give us intellectual understanding Of what Jesus did freely for you on the cross. To help us understand what God has freely given us in Christ. Romans chapter 3 talks about what God has freely given us in Christ. Ephesians chapter 1 talks about what God has freely given us in Christ. So it's, it's free. And the Spirit wants to give understanding and revelation and insight of this free truths that are ours in christ that we are forgiven i don't keep asking for forgiveness we are forgiven we are righteous we are holy we are pure in the sight of god because of the blood of christ because the blood of christ purifies from all sin so you and i've been purified by the blood of christ which is what the book of hebrews is about and this is what we speak paul says when i teach people when i speak to people I don't speak in words taught by human wisdom, because he says I'm not a great orator, and I'm not a great speaker, and I don't have a great vocabulary. But I speak in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. So when Paul communicated to people, the words that he used, we can see for, from what he did. In, we can, what are the word, What are the spiritual words that Paul used? We'll read. You know, we can read Ephesians. We can see his spiritual words in Ephesians. We can see his spiritual words in Colossians. We can see his spiritual words in Philippians. Um, We can see his spiritual words in Galatians and in Romans. We can see his spiritual words. So Paul understood, as I communicate to people what justification by faith means, as I communicate to people the fullness of forgiveness, and as I communicate to people Christ in you, the hope of glory, using spiritual truths produce transformation. So as Paul spoke spiritual truths and the spirit of Christ in people, take the spiritual truths that Paul taught that were associated and connected to the gospel and transformed the hearts of people as the spirit of Christ, as spiritual truth went from Paul's mouth into the ears of those who heard, they connected it and believed it by faith, and then the spirit, uh uh-oh, let's see if I can get this. And then the Spirit, we good? Okay. Then the Spirit took what Paul was communicating, and give, gave people the understanding in their hearts and minds of the gospel. So it's it's like some of the revelation you've had here. Some of y'all, some of y'all already have known this. You've as, as I've taught these spiritual truths that come from Galatians and comes from, come from Romans and Ephesians. And we're gonna look some at some at them some more today. You've noticed something happening inside your heart. You've noticed something happening inside your mind. What was happening was the Spirit of Christ in you was taking the spiritual truth from God's Word, rightly divided between law and grace, Old and New Covenant, Jesus' ministry to Israel and er, and His heavenly ministry to the Gentiles, the body of Christ, and to Jews who came together as one family. That the Holy Spirit takes these truths and just begin to change you from the inside out, and me too. And we weren't trying to grow. You, you were putting no effort into growth. Growth was happening supernaturally in you as spiritual truth was communicated from God's word to your heart, and then the Spirit of Christ in you took these truths and began to transform you and began to produce what we call the fruit of the Spirit, love, peace joy he begins to produce that in you all right so again we we looked at 2nd corinthians 3 3 through 6 last week the spirit of christ involved in the ministry of paul it is clear you are a letter from christ the result of our ministry written not with ink but with the spirit of the living god So the Spirit of Christ in people would take the ministry of Paul, the message of Paul, the words of Paul, and write these truths upon the hearts of believers, which we're experiencing when we we hear the Word of God rightly divided and an emphasis upon the cross of Christ and the finished work of Christ without watering it down with legalistic requirements. Written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, that's the Ten Commandments, but on tablets of human hearts. So the Spirit writes on our hearts. The law was written on stone, but the Spirit writes on our heart, spiritual truths. Such confidence before God is ours, Paul said, through Christ. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim that anything uh, comes from us, but he says my message, my competence comes from God. And he has qualified us as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, not the law of Moses, but of the Spirit, for the, le- the letter kills, he's referring there to the Ten Commandments as a ministry of death. All right, it kills us because nobody can obey the commandments and the punishment or the penalty is death. But the Spirit gives life. Here's what he's saying. The law of Moses brings death, but the cross of Christ and the resurrection of Christ and Christ in you brings life. So do I want to relate to God through what brings death or what brings life? And the Spirit's ministry is that of the new covenant of grace. We're going to see more of that momentarily. Paul goes on to say, Now if the ministry of death, which was engraved in letters on stone, that's the Ten Commandments, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at the face of Moses because of its fleeting glory, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation, that's the law of Moses, that's the Ten Commandments in context, was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry of righteousness? So the ministry of the Spirit is the Spirit given us understanding of what Jesus did for us at the cross. Jesus became sin for us at the cross, and through faith in him, we become righteous. That's the greatest miracle of all, that here me, someone full of sinfulness, has been given righteousness so that you and I stand before God righteous, having done nothing simply by faith in the everything that Jesus did for us. That's the ministry of the Spirit. So our rightness with God is not based upon daily spiritual practices, but it's based upon the spiritual truth of the cross. And Paul goes on to say, Now the Lord is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom from the law. There is freedom from legalism. There is freedom from religious performance. There is freedom from effort. Because where is the Spirit of the Lord? In our hearts. So we're free. The Spirit brings freedom from the law or from effort. And we who with unveiled faces, that's those who come to faith in Christ, who can see the new covenant, who can see the finished work of Christ, who can see the grace of God freely given us in Christ, all reflect the glory of the Lord. See, we, as we grow in grace, as the Spirit gives us insight in the grace, you and I will begin to reflect Christ in our relationships. We will begin to reflect His grace. We will begin to reflect who He was. We'll begin to reflect it, the the moon reflects the, sun's, the sunshine. But the moon has no power in and of itself to, to have light. It just reflects the sun's light. You and I have no power to transform our own lives. We have no power to be like Jesus. But as we gaze upon Christ and his beauty and what he did for us at the cross and Christ in us and we're confident that we're forgiven and that we're righteous, And that we're innocent before God, then we, as we walk by faith in those truths, then we'll begin to reflect what we've received by faith. So whatever I've received by faith in Christ, I will reflect in my life. And that's why for some who've gone from from guilt to grace in this class, you're, you're, you're experiencing joy. You're reflecting the joy of the Lord. Because the Holy Spirit is producing within you joy. Um, Unveiled faces all reflect the glory of the Lord. We're being transformed into his image, that's the image of Christ, with intensifying glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So where does transformation come from? The Lord, who is Jesus, who is the Spirit in you? Jesus in you, Christ in you. That's why Paul's message so often is trying to lead people to Christ in them. You never see Paul leading people to be Christ followers or to be fully devoted followers of Christ. That's not his message. That was a message for Israel under law. The message for the church is Christ in you. The fullness of what Christ did for you um, That's where Paul was leading people, and that's when transformation begins to come. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old covenant of law, of ministry, of death, of condemnation, of the Ten Commandments has passed away. But the new covenant of grace, of righteousness, of forgiveness, of just, you're innocent before God, you're in relationship with God, Christ now lives in you, that's the new creation, has come. All this is from God, who reconciled or brought us into relationship with himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, of telling others how they can be in relationship with God by proclaiming to them forgiveness, and they come to faith in that. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins or trespasses against them. So why is God not counting our sins against us? Because they were all counted against Jesus. And if all of our sins were counted against Jesus, then how many of our sins are left to be counted against us? None. But if I'm always asking God for forgiveness, then what lie am I believing from Satan? That I'm not forgiven. That God's counting my sins against me. That's a lie. The truth is God's not counting your sins against you because they were all counted against Christ. That's part of the belt of truth that we're to put on in Ephesians chapter 6. We put on the truth that God's not counting our sins against us. We put on the truth that we are forgiven. We put on the truth that we are righteous. We put on the truth that we are not guilty. So we begin walking in truth, and as we walk in truth by faith, the Spirit begins transforming our hearts. He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. That's our message. That's the message of the body of Christ. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. We're speaking on behalf of Christ. Paul spoke on behalf of Christ as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. God made Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin on our behalf so that in Christ or through faith in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. That's where we left off last week. So let's pick up on the ministry of the Holy Spirit in, in our lives and in our hearts. says the Holy Spirit, in Hebrews ten fifteen through 18 says, also testifies to us about this. First, the Holy Spirit says, or the Spirit of Christ, this is the covenant I will make with them, initially talking about the nation of Israel, but Gentiles, we now are recipients of the truths of the new covenant. I will make with them after those days declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts. Now, At that point, we want to go back to the law. Well, God's going to write his laws on our, it's, he's not, we've been redeemed from law, right? So God is not going to write on the hearts of people the law that he's redeemed them from. So what law is, what is he referring to? It's the laws of the new covenant. It's the truths of the new covenant. He's going to write these truths of the new covenant upon your hearts. And that's what we saw happening in the verses that we just read in 2 Corinthians 3 all the way down to 2 Corinthians 5.21. He's going to write these laws or these truths on your heart. You are forgiven. You are righteous. You are loved. You are not guilty. You are innocent. God is not counting your sins against you. You are free in Christ. These are the things the Spirit is going to start writing upon our hearts those truths. That's what happens in this class. You experienced it. As we're sharing these truths, the Holy Spirit starts writing these truths on your heart, the truths of the new covenant. And that's what he's referring to here, the truths of the new covenant. And I will inscribe them on their minds. Remember in the verse we read in 1 Corinthians Chapter 2? What, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard what no mind has conceived what god has prepared for those who love him but the spirit has given you, you you revelation of these he's given you the mind of christ and notice here notice the connection here inscribed on their minds what is it that's been ins- that the holy spirit wants to inscribe on the minds of believers again you are forgiven you are righteous you're in fellowship with god you're not guilty the Holy Spirit will then take these spiritual truths and begin to inscribe them on our minds and inscribe them on our hearts and begin to be and then transform us with these truths so that we reflect the very glory of Christ as we continue to grow in the grace of God. And again, there's no effort. It's just the Holy Spirit is doing these things in us. That's why it's called the fruit of the Spirit and not the fruit of bread. It's the fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit does it. Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. So every time I ask God to forgive me of sin, I'm thinking he's counting those sins against me. He's remembering them against me. He's recording them against me. But, I, but, but he's remembering them no more because they were nailed to the cross. It doesn't mean he doesn't know about our sins and we can't be open and honest and transparent with him, which is what grace leads us ultimately to do just means he's not remembering them as far as counting them against us. Therefore, we don't have to keep asking for forgiveness. And where these sins have been forgiven, where were these sins forgiven? At the cross. That's his point. Where these sins have been forgiven. Your sins were forgiven at the cross. That's why we proclaim that forgiveness to others. And faith receives what the cross achieved. Where these sins have been fully, completely, totally, and forever forgiven, an offering for sin is no longer needed. They wanted to continue sacrificing animals, the Jewish people. We just want to keep asking. But there's no difference. The same thing applies. They were still trying to stay forgiven after the blood of Christ was shed on the cross, and we're trying to still stay forgiven after the blood of Christ was shed on the cross. We're just going about it in two different ways. And the truth is, forgiveness is complete for everybody That's the good news. And as people receive that by faith, that's why the writer of Hebrews writes Hebrews chapter 11. He's trying to convince the Jewish people that this idea of faith is not a strange concept, that their whole Jewish lineage lived by faith. Now he's asking them to take one more step of faith to the cross of Christ. That's why Hebrews 11 is in Scripture. So let's look at the the, the ministry of the Spirit. Romans 7, 4 through 6. It says, therefore, my brothers, you also died to the law or spiritual performance or spiritual pra- practices or, or the discipline of trying to stay right with God. It says, you died to those things through the body of Christ. Christ set us free from trying to stay right with God. That you may belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead In order that we might bear fruit to God. For when we lived according to the flesh, the flesh there is talking about religious flesh. It's talking about a group of people who were seeking to become righteous before God through the works of the law. Religious flesh, religious disciplines, religious practices. Trying to to get close to God in these ways. For when we lived according to the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies. Notice what the law of Moses does. The law of Moses arouses from within sin. Specifically, the Ten Commandments arouses from within the heart, of a sinful heart of a person sinful desires, which produce sinful decisions, which result in destruction. So when people ask, well, should believers live according to the Ten Commandments? According to Scripture, we're going to go deeper into this over the next few weeks. Th- the biblical answer is no, but we're going to land this plane eventually, and it's gonna, you're going to see, oh, I get it now. I get it now. It makes sense now. Because the law stimulates sin. For example, if, I, if somebody came in and painted this wall, right? and I put, do not touch wet paint, what's everybody going to want to do? I've ch- so I, would, I bet none of y'all have touched the wall since you've been here, right? But if I put a sign up here this morning, and I put it all the way around, there are those of us who are going to all of a sudden violate this law. That's the law of Moses. That's the reason God gave the law of Moses. Romans 5.20 says that the law of Moses, or the Ten Commandments, increases sin. Because the more sin is increased in my life, the more awareness I have for my need of Jesus. The law was made to lead us to Christ. How does the law lead us to Christ? By showing me how sinful I am. So how does the law show me how sinful I am? By telling me not to do something. I mean, you want to see how sinful a child is, tell him not to do something. Tell her not to do something. So we use reverse psychology, Right? You better not give me a hug. You better not give me a hug. And what do they do? Bam, they give you a hug. Now, if you walk in and say, you give me a hug. No, I'm not giving you any hug. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm talking about, right? You give me a hug and they take off running. And then you better not give me a hug, they come right to you. That's you're seeing the sinful, the flesh, the sinful flesh within your grandchildren's heart at that point. That's the law. It's the same for all of us. And the law shows me how sinful I am and shows me how good God is, how loving he is, because Christ went to the cross to die for my sins. God gave the law to show us our sin, to show us our need for grace, ultimately for Jesus. Um, but now having died to what bound us, that's religious practices, trying to stay right with God, trying to stay forgiven. That is such bondage that I was in for several years. We have been released from the law. So that we now serve or relate to God in the new way, in contrast to the old way of law, in the new way of the Spirit. And the new way of the Spirit is what the book of Romans and Galatians talks about. It's the new way of grace. And the new way of grace is the cross of Christ. And I can think of no better way to relate to God through Christ. That's the best way. And when I bring myself into it, it produces two things. I either to get prideful and say, look how good I'm doing. Or I get pitiful, look how bad I'm doing. But when we stay focused on Christ, it leads to praise. Look what Jesus did for me. I am forgiven. I am righteous. I am not guilty. I am in fellowship with God. Christ did it all. And by faith, I believe what he's done. And the Spirit then begins to produce peace and joy internally in our hearts. Ephesians 3, 14 through 19. Again, Paul's writing about the Spirit. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. So we're getting a glimpse into Paul's prayers. Ephesians 3, 14 through 19. So he's, he's praying to the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Jew, Gentile, no matter who you are, God is the Father who wants to know everybody personally. And his prayer is that out of the riches of his glory... He may strengthen you, each one of us individually, with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So, the Christian life is about Christ in you, right? It's about you being strengthened in your inner being with power that comes from the Holy Spirit. And now we're going to connect this strengthening, this power that comes from the Holy Spirit, Paul's going to connect it for us. Then you, as you walk by faith in Christ, and Christ dwells in our hearts by faith, you will be rooted and grounded in love. So the first thing the Holy Spirit wants to do is establish us in the love of Christ. He wants to establish you in the love of Christ that was poured out for you at the cross. So that when, we, when the law convinces us of our sin, the Holy Spirit is there to convince us of the, love, of the love of Christ. It's the law that convicts of sin, not the Spirit. And so often we've, well, the Spirit convicts of sin. No, the Spirit doesn't convict of sin. It's not in Scripture. He convicts, he convicts the unbeliever of sin, but not the believer. The Holy Spirit is there to convince the believer of spiritual truth, right? He's there to point you to the reality of what Christ did for you on the cross. Where the law condemns and our conscience conscience condemns, the Spirit is there to convince us that we're forgiven and that we're loved and that we're righteous because Satan is going to kind of come in there and say, look at you, look at you, look at you, and the Spirit is going to say, look at Jesus, look at Jesus, look at Jesus. And that's when we can begin to grow so we're rooted and grounded in the love of Christ it says we then you being rooted and grounded in love will have power given by the holy spirit in you as you concentrate on Christ dwelling in you so we moved away from be a Christ follower be a Christ follower be a, a Christ follower follow Jesus follow Jesus that's not the message it's Christ in you it's Christ in you through his spirit giving you revelation of what Christ did for you This is the body of Christ, truth. We'll have power together with all the saints. Notice it's not sinners saved by grace. You were a sinner, you were saved by grace, and now you're a saint. You're a holy one. You know how many times believers are called sinners saved by grace in the Bible? Zero. It's not there. You know how many times believers are called saints? Over 60 times. And Satan's going to try to convince us that we're only sinners saved by grace. But we will live according to how we identify ourselves. If a butterfly, and this is from Bob George in Classic Christianity, he talks about a butterfly used to be a caterpillar, right? And somehow in the miracle of God's process, that butterfly becomes, or the, the, the um, caterpillar becomes a butterfly. But, the, but we don't say, look at that converted Caterpillar. (laughs) Look at that old converted caterpillar up there flying around. We don't do that. We don't even identify the butterflies. It doesn't even come to our minds that that used to be a caterpillar. We just see the butterfly. Right? See, we were sinners in Adam. In Christ, we have a new identity. It's not of sinners saved by grace. In Adam, I'm a sinner that needs to be saved by grace, thus the law. In Christ... I am a saint, one who has been saved by grace, one who is forgiven, one who is righteous, one who is purified, one who is holy. That's who our identity is. It's who we are in Christ. So I need to know who I am in Christ, but then I need to know who Christ is in me. So Paul teaches both in Christ and Christ in you. Then you, being rooted and grounded in love, will have power together with all the saints to do what? What's what's the Holy Spirit going to give you and I the power to do? All right, here it is. To comprehend, comprehend, understand in our minds and in our hearts the length, the width, the height, and the depth of his love. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to you and I to comprehend. How much we're loved. How much we're forgiven. How righteous we are in Christ. That we're saints and not sinners saved by grace. We we're sinners, we were saved by grace, and now we're saints. He wants to lead us, the Holy Spirit. Remember, Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will testify about me. The Holy Spirit will testify about me. So, what's the Holy Spirit testifying about in Ephesians 3? He's testifying about how much God loves you and how much Christ loves you and how much when Christ went to the cross for you, it was just an incredible demonstration and act of love. You are loved. It's not about my disciplines. That's what I thought it was about. Have I had my quiet time today? Have I prayed today? How's your prayer life, Brad? How's your prayer life going in this discipleship program I was in? What's my answer to that? I mean, what am I going to say? How's your prayer life? It's either bad or it's good. I'm either going to lie or tell you the truth. You know, it's not about my prayer life anymore. It's about the life of Christ that went to the cross for me, who died on the cross because he loved me. Now I pray, I talk to the Father, have a relationship with the Father, but it's not from this place of I have to have a good prayer life and I have to make sure I pray every day. I've just created another religion. It's relationship, and now I just find myself talking to the Lord and praying to the Father constantly, every day. And it's not a discipline that I have to do and I, I, I don't even, I'm so glad I've been rescued from that bondage. It's just relationship now. And some people say, yeah, but now you'll want to pray. Well, I wanted to pray then. I just didn't have, I wasn't grounded in grace. I didn't understand that prayer was rooted and grounded in grace. And now it wasn't about a day or a time or a place or get up early or stay up late or none of those things. It, or 15 minutes or 30 minutes and none of those things. It was just a relationship. Um. That you may be filled with the fullness of God. How is a person filled with the fullness of God? Number one, first, when they place their faith in the fullness of what Christ did for them on the cross. I cannot be filled with the fullness of God until I place my faith in the fullness of what Christ did for you and me on the cross. I am fully forgiven. I am fu- you are fully righteous. You are fully innocent. You are fully loved. You are fully accepted. And then God begins to fill you with the fullness of himself through the Spirit giving us revelations. You may be filled, so that's, uh, the Spirit's filling. I'm not trying to fill myself. I'm not trying to make something happen. I'm not trying to do it. I'm not trying, this is no, notice there's no effort on our part here. It's all by faith. We're believing the truth of the gospel. We're hearing and believing. We're hearing and believing. Transformation starts happening. We begin to be filled with the fullness of the love of Christ. You know that whatever we're filled with will flow out of us, right? Right. If I'm filled with anger, anger is going to flow out of me. If I'm filled with impatience, so impatience is going to flow out of me. So whatever I'm filled with will flow out of me. God, I don't want to be angry anymore. Help me not to be angry. God's not going to help us not to be angry. God wants, you to help, God wants to help you through his spirit in you understand how much you're loved. That's what he wants to do. The fruit of the Spirit, one of the fruits of the fruit of the Spirit is not not being angry. It's patience. So as we understand how loved we are by the Father, how patient He is and how kind He is and how good He is, He is the fruit of the Spirit to us. Until I'm filled with the fullness of His patience to me and my awareness of His patience and my need for His patience, then I'm not going to be filled with patience to somebody else. So it all flows out of me first fully understanding the gospel without watering it down with any of these religious systems that tend to put so many believers in bondage and stunt the growth of so many believers. We're filled with the fullness of God as we come to understand the fullness of the love of Christ. Now, most of us are, ephes- are, are familiar with Ephesians three twenty and 21, but let's put this verse in its context. So it flows out of this Understanding how much you're loved, and the Holy Spirit wants to give you the power to understand how much you love your love. Now, connect it now to Him who is able to do infinitely more than all we could ask or imagine, according to His power that is at work within us. What is His power doing in us? His power in us is to help us to comprehend how long and how wide and how high and how deep his love is. So the Holy Spirit wants to empower you to educate you and me to enlighten us to the love of Christ. And so that as we are educated and empowered and enlightened by the love of Christ, his love goes to work inside of us. His, his love goes to work in context inside of us. I'm not trying to be more loving. I'm not trying to be more kind. I'm not trying to be more disciplined. I'm not trying to follow more practices. He's doing something in us that's based upon what he did for us. And as the Holy Spirit gives us an awareness of what he did for us, then the changes come from within us. That's the power he's referring to here according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory where? In the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Now, think about this. Imagine this for just a moment. His power can do more in and through us than we could ever hope, dream, ask, or imagine according to scripture. And his power is the revelation of his love in us and his love for us. It's the revelation of Christ in us and what Christ did for us. And these revelations of what, of what Christ did for us on the cross, full forgiveness, full righteousness, innocent, justified, in fellowship with God, it's all about what he did for me, not what I do. And then he comes to indwell us, and he brings this love into our hearts. And the Holy Spirit begins to give us understanding and revelation of this incredible love for us. It says, then, watch what God does within a church in this verse. Think about a church family. That's why Grace Fellowship has grown like it has. It's the love of Christ. It's people's hearts being filled with the love of Christ that was displayed fully at the cross. And the more our church family directs the people who go to our church to the cross of Christ and to the love of Christ and to Christ in them, the more our church family directs people to those things, then the Holy Spirit is going to give those revelations to people and the transformation is going to start happening and the church is just going to continue to do what it's always done. Reach people with the love of God through Christ, the broken and the vulnerable who need the life of Christ in them. New life, new life is not being a Christ follower. New life is Christ in me, the fullness of Christ in me. That's where the power is according to scripture. Look what happened in the church in Thessalonica. Brothers who are beloved by God, we know that he has chosen you, that's the Gentiles, because our gospel, this is Paul talking, the gospel of grace, the gospel of forgiveness and righteousness, and you're holy by faith in Christ, everything we've talked about, came to you not only in word, Paul speaking spiritual words, spiritual truth, right? 1 Thessalonians 1, 4-8, but also in power, In the Holy Spirit and with great conviction. So here's the Holy Spirit and Paul working in in unison. Paul's communicating the gospel that Jesus gave him to communicate. And as Paul communicates the gospel that Jesus gave him to communicate, the Holy Spirit convinces people of the truths of the gospel the truth they're forgiven, the truth that they're righteous. That's the gospel that came to Thessalonica with great conviction, with great belief, with great, yeah, this is true. I'm convinced it's true because the Holy Spirit convinced them it was true. Just as you know, we lived among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord when you welcomed the message with the joy of the Holy Spirit. You know what gives the Holy Spirit joy is the gospel of grace. The cross gives the Holy Spirit joy. But you know what it gives the Holy Spirit even more joy? When that revelation of what Christ did for you, becomes you become fully aware of that in your heart and mind. We talk a lot about grieving the Holy Spirit, but that's when we fail to give grace to people in our relationships, and it causes destruction in our relationships, and it tears our relationships apart, and it grieves the Holy Spirit to watch our, our, our relationships break down because we fail to give grace to one another in context. But we don't talk a lot about the joy. What gives the Holy Spirit joy? When the light bulb of grace goes off in your heart, it produces joy within the Holy Spirit in you. That's why you feel joy. What's the joy that you feel? It's the joy of the Holy Spirit. It's the the third fruit of the Spirit, a second fruit of the Spirit, love joy, which brings peace. I'm at peace with God now. I'm full of joy of what Christ did for me, produced by the Spirit. Now I'm at peace. I don't have to worry about it anymore if I'm saved or not saved. Am I in fellowship or not, fellowsh- not in fellowship? Have I had my quiet time or not had my quiet time? Have I prayed or not prayed? I mean, that's a miserable life. But the Holy Spirit produces love. He wants to convince you that you're loved, convince you that you're forgiven. then that produces joy and that produces peace, which then flows into our relationships with other people. Just as you know how we live, okay, you welcome the message, you welcome the message of the gospel of grace, of full forgiveness and righteousness, and Christ in you with the joy of the Holy Spirit, in spite of great suffering. As a result, you have become an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. But not only did the message of the Lord, it's the Lord's message of grace that Jesus gave Paul, right? Ring out from you to Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith, your faith, there it is, your faith, your belief in the gospel has gone out to every place so that we have no need to say anything more. And look at what else what happens. Um, should be 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. Paul said, we continually thank God that in receiving the word of God from us. So what did they do? They received it. They received the word. They received the truth of the gospel. They received the message of forgiveness and the message of righteousness. And how did they receive it? He told us in chapter 1, by faith. And look what happened when they received the gospel. You did not accept it as the word of men. Sometimes we accept the word of men as the gospel, right? I did that for a while. They have a Bible. They're on stage. They're good communicators. They're at this conference. They've written tons of books. Man, wow. I accept what they say. And if he said it, it's the gospel. I remember one time, well, maybe another time we'll talk about that. Um, (laughs) The word of, then it says, you did not accept it, that's the gospel of grace, as the word of men, but as the true word of God, look look at this, the word now at work in you who believe. The great fear of a legalist is this. Why, if you teach grace, they're not going to do anything. They're not going to serve in the church. They're not going to do any work. They're going to live a life of sin. So we got to water it down with some law and some practices and some disciplines and some efforts and some have tos and some ought tos because we don't believe the gospel is power enough, powerful enough to change a life. So we got to control them. And that's why Paul says in Galatians 5:1, "It is for freedom that Christ." set you free. And when you see that freedom of forgiveness and that freedom of righteousness and that freedom of grace and the Holy Spirit gives you insight into that, understanding and awareness, it's going to go to work in you just like it did the Thessalonians. And they were worshiping false gods and they were living in all kinds of immorality. And we see the power of the gospel in their lives. Okay, page 75, number three. We'll take just a few more minutes. As the Spirit of Christ draws us to God as Abba, Father, and because you're sons, God sent the spirit of a son into our heart, Galatians 4, 6 through 7, crying out, Abba, Father, so you're no longer a slave to a religious performance, but you're a son. And since you're a son or a daughter, you are also an heir through God. Ephesians 2, 18, for through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. We relate to the Father. That's where Paul's trying to point people to. It's Christ in you who then re- he brings us to the Father. Remember the story of the woman at the well. John four twenty two through twenty four. Here's the conversation. Sir, the woman said, "I see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say, but you Jews say the place where one must worship is in Jerusalem." Notice here the focus on a place. The Samaritans had their place, and the, and the Jews had their place. And the right place at this point in time under the old covenant was Jerusalem. Believe me, woman, Jesus replied, a time is coming. Now, what is he referring to there? What time? The time we're in now, the time of the cross, the time of grace, the time of the new covenant. A time is coming. It's come. Remember Galatians chapter 4? We just read it. Look up. Well, we just did 6 and 7, but if you look up, when the time had fully come, Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, when the time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman born under law, to redeem us from the law, so that the Spirit of Christ could live in us and we could call call God Abba Father. Now, remember that and read this. Believe me, Jesus replied, a time is coming. It came at the cross. When you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. He said, hey, your relationship with the Father is not designated to a time and a place. And that's what we've done in modern day discipleship. Get you a place to spend with God. Let that be you're in God's place. And you get up early and you go to that place and you spend 15 minutes from there in that place. They've never been taught about the truth of the gospel. They've never been taught about the finality of the cross. They've never been taught about Christ in you. They're still trying to stay in fellowship. They're still asking forgiveness, but they're, boy, this is my place for God and I meet. Now, there are people that I know who have those meeting places and there's nothing wrong with that. That's their relationship with the Father. But my prayer for them is they come to understand the fullness of what Christ did for them. That's what God's called me to do. Is to help believers understand what actually they're believing in. Because we are believers. Are you a believer? I'm a believer. Where in what? What am I believing in? That I'm forgiven. That Christ died for all my sins. I'm believing that God's not counting my sins against me. I'm believing that Jesus became sinfulness for me so I could become righteousness before God. I'm believing that Christ in me is leading me and guiding me and showing me and directing my steps. So I'm believing that I'm a saint, not a sinner. That's that's what we're believing in. So let's move on with this. You worship what you do not know. He's talking about the woman and the Samaritans. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Why is salvation from the Jews? Because that's where Jesus came from and there's no other name under heaven by which one must be saved than by Jesus. But a time is coming, that's where we are now, the after the cross, mm-hmm. the body of, of grace, and has now come when the because tr- Christ was there and he's about to go to the cross, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and his, worship, his worshipers must worship him in spirit and truth. When we think worship, we think worship service. We think building. We think place. We, th- we think song. We think worship leader. That's not, nothing's wrong with any of that. That's not in the mind of Jesus here. Jesus is talking about an individual person who lives their life fully aware of the Father's love for them. That it has nothing to do with a time or a place but has everything to do with what Christ did for them on the cross and their understanding of what he did, the revelation of Christ in them, and then knowing God as Father. And every day they wake up, they understand I'm, I'm a worshiper of, of the Father today. I'm, my life is lived. I'm, I'm walking with the Father today. I'm living with the Father through Christ who lives in me. It's a relationship. That was so foreign to these groups of people back then because their relationship with God was was designated to a place and a time, rather than to a personal relationship. Number four, the Spirit of Christ enables us to experience the Father's love. Um, look at John fifteen nine, one verse down. As the Father has loved me, Jesus said, "So I have loved you." And then look down another one, John sixteen twenty seven. For the Father Himself loves you, because you have loved me, and you believed that I came from God. John 17, 23, I in them, I in them, and you in me, that they may be perfectly united so that the world may know that you sent me and you've loved them just as you have loved me. And Jesus's prayer, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. This is Jesus's, this is the real Lord's prayer. This is the real. This is the Lord praying for you. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am, that they may see my glory. You gave me, you gave me because, you gave them to me. I think because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Righteous Father, although the world has not known you, I know you, and they know that you sent me, and I have made your name known to them, and will continue to make it known, so that the love you have for me may be where in them and i in them this is what paul taught we just looked at in ephesians chapter three it's what he talked about in colossians christ in you christ in you christ in you the love of christ in you come to understand the love of christ now how much does the father according to jesus love you he loves you as much as he loved jesus That's what Jesus is trying to convey to his disciples, and that's what the Holy Spirit is trying to convince us of from within our hearts. That you are loved by the Father equally to the Father's love for Jesus. That's what it means to worship by spirit and truth. What's the truth that enables me to really worship the Father? I'm forgiven, I'm righteous. I'm accepted. I'm holy. I'm a saint by the blood of Christ. I'm a person with whom Christ lives, and the Spirit of Christ lives in me and enables me to know God as Father. That's the truth that enables you and I to worship the Father, that that we begin to walk in relationship with the Father every day of my life. Do you see now how so many spiritual disciplines that are taught and forced on people and discipleship programs, they never get to the truth because they're trying to get you to grow. And the, they're trying to get, them trying to get you to grow is keeping you in bondage, but you don't know you're in the bondage until you see the truth because it's the truth that sets you free from the bondage we were in. And once we see the truth of what Christ did on the cross... I still may want to pr- pray every day. I still may want to have quiet times. Nothing wrong with that. I have many friends who do that. But I also have many friends who don't. And I'm one of those people who don't. i got to have a quiet time of the day. But other people like that. And that's fine. I don't have a prayer life. I don't have a daily devotional. I just walk in relationship with God based upon the truth of what Jesus did for me on the cross and based upon Christ within me. And it changed my life. And as you listen to the truth of the gospel, the Holy Spirit is changing your life. Joy is coming, peace is coming, freedom's coming. Mary Magdalene, after Jesus rose from the dead, and she was the woman of Romans chapter seven of, of, of Luke chapter seven. The woman, the sinful woman who last week or two weeks ago who went to Jesus, poured the perfume out. That was Mary Magdalene. We can look at it in scripture in John, I'll bring you those verses next week. If somebody will remind me, but, but John makes it really clear that she's that woman. Do not cling to me, Jesus said to Mary Magdalene, for I have not ascended to the Father. This was after his resurrection. But go and tell my brothers, go and tell the disciples, go and tell those who've come to faith in me that I'm ascending to my Father, and notice what he says, and your Father. See where Jesus is directing the attention? The Holy Spirit directs your attention to Jesus. Jesus directs your attention to the Father. Because Jesus said, Their time is coming when you will worship the Father in spirit and truth. All right. Your Father, your Father, you're in relationship with God as your Father, who, has lo- who loves you, who's forgiven you, who accepts you, who sees you as righteous and holy. To my God and your Father, Mary Magdalene went and announced the, this to the disciples. I have seen the Lord. And she told them what he said to her. So what did Mary Magdalene tell Peter and John and the disciples? That Jesus is going to his father and to your father. Because what did Jesus spend all of his time telling the disciples about in John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17? He, about the father. We just read some of those about the father. He's try- he was trying to convince them that they're loved by the Father as much as the Father loved Jesus. So what is the thing that he tells Mary Magdalene to go tell them? Go remind them. Because I, why, why did they need to be reminded of the Father's love? Because how was the disciples feeling at this moment? Guilt, shame, embarrassed, weak, miserable, hopeless, terrible about themselves. Because they had failed at being followers of Christ, right? They failed miserably at being a follower of Christ. Because when they were asked, Peter said, I don't know the man. And all of them deserted him. And all of them left him. None of them followed him. They failed miserably. That's why we've got to understand it's not about me being a Christ follower. It's about Christ fully living in me. So what do you and I need to be reminded of when we're feeling shame and guilt, condemnation, self-hatred? Oh, I'm a poor follower of Christ. I'm really blown at this time. The Holy Spirit's going to remind you of the Father's love for you. That's what you need to be reminded of. Satan's going to try to convince you that you're out of fellowship, and you need to go ask for forgiveness, and you're in the condemnation, but the Spirit's going to say, no, you're forgiven and know you're righteous, and know you're holy. What does a butterfly need to be reminded of that's crawling on the ground with the caterpillars? He needs to know who he is. You're a butterfly. This is not who you are anymore. This isn't your identity. He needs to be reminded of who he is. So this is what Jesus is doing through Mary Magdalene. And what a great person to go communicate this to them. This is the woman who has lived a life of prostitution, who was living in shame, and she encountered the grace of Jesus, which totally changed her life, and now she's becoming a communicator of the grace that changed her life. And part of this grace message is the Father loves you, period. No conditions. The Father's forgiven you, period. No conditions. You're in fellowship with the Father, period. It's an amazing life that we live. The Spirit of of Christ Number five, produces love in us and through us. Romans 5, 5, God has poured out his love in our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. See, that's what the body of Christ needs to know. Christ in you. You're loved, and the Holy Spirit takes that love, and the Holy Spirit pours out the love of God into our hearts. Romans eight fourteen through 16, for all who are led by the Spirit, the Spirit's going to lead us to Christ, what he did, our sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery, religious slavery, that returns you to the fear of, oh, if I don't do this, I'm out of fellowship with God. And if I don't do this, I'm not forgiven. And if I don't do this, I have to live in guilt. No, the spirit of, that's not the spirit of Christ in you telling you these things. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery that returns you to fear. That's life under law in context. But you received the spirit of sonship. You're loved, you're forgiven, you're accepted, you're righteous. That's the spirit of sonship. By whom we cry, Abba, Father, my daddy who loves me. My, it's a relationship, it's a gentle, loving relationship between father, son, father, daughter. And look what the spirit testifies the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. See, the spirit wants you to know that you're a forgiven son of God, you're a forgiven daughter of God, you're accepted, you're righteous you're holy, you're a saint. The Spirit wants to lead you and I to these truths. And when the Spirit leads us to these truths, here's what happens. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things, there is no law. You know that love doesn't need a law? See, God isn't interested in people living by the Ten Commandments. Because a, a, a husband can never commit adultery on his wife. But he can, for all of their marriage, never love her. He might not be patient. He not, might not be kind. He might not be gentle. See, God doesn't want us living by a set of commandments and rules and don't commit adultery on your wife. He wants to produce in us Gentleness to our wives and to our husbands and to people. He wants to produce in us kindness and goodness. And goodness doesn't commit adultery on your wife, but it goes way beyond that. See, that's the gospel. Legalism is all about making sure you do these things and don't do these things. The gospel is about empowering you and out of love. So I don't need a law when my life's controlled by love, right? Jesus didn't live by the Ten Commandments. Why? Because he was completely controlled by the love of the Father. He fulfilled the commandments. How did Jesus fulfill the Ten Commandments? By living a life of love. Jesus didn't go around saying, I can't lie. He just loved people. And love doesn't lie. He fulfilled the law, and we've broken the law. And now we stand before God as if we obeyed the law our whole lives. Because Christ lives in us. And uh, the father relates to p- the father relates to you and I based upon what Christ did for us.